Chapter Fifteen of the Black Eagle Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Overby, Midland, Washington. Dedicated to Uni. The Black Eagle Mystery by Geraldine Bonner. Chapter Fifteen molly tells the story i heard all this late that night from babbitts but there was more to it than i've told in the last chapter for after they left the hospital o'malley and babbitts went to the whitney office and had a seance with the old man and mr george though ford had disappointed them his story had made the way clear for a decisive move this was decided upon then and there on monday morning they would ask miss whitehall to come to whitney and whitney's and subject her to a real examination if she maintained her pose of ignorance they would suddenly face her with their complete information they felt tolerably certain this would be too much for her secure in her belief that no murder had been suspected surprise and terror would seize her even a hardened criminal placed unexpectedly in such a position was liable to break down the next day was sunday i'll not forget it in a hurry many a high-pressure day i've had in my twenty-five years but none that had anything over that one it was gray and overcast clouds low down over the roofs which stretched away in a gray huddle of flat tops and slanting mansards and chimneys and clotheslines babbitt spent the morning on the davenport looking like he was in a boat floating through a sea of newspapers i couldn't settle down to anything thinking of what was going to happen the next morning thinking of that girl that beautiful girl with her soul stained with crime and wondering if she would feel the shadow that was falling across her after lunch himself went out saying he'd take a shot at finding freddy jasper and going with him up to Yonkers, where there'd been some anarchist row. He was restless, too. If things turned out right, he'd get his big story at last, and what a story it would be. He'd get a raise for certain, and as he kissed me good-bye, he said he'd give me the two glass lamps and a new set of furs, anything I wanted, short of sable or ermine. In the afternoon, Iola dropped in, all dolled up and decked with a permanent smile, for she'd landed her new job and liked it fine. As she prattled away, she let drop something that caught my ear, and lucky it was, as you'll see presently. On her way back she'd met Delia, the Whitehall's maid, who told her the ladies were going to move back to the Azalea Woods estates, where someone had given them a cottage. Delia had just been to see them, and found that Mrs. Whitehall had already gone, and Miss Whitehall was packing up to follow on Monday afternoon. Iola thought it was nice they'd got a cottage, but didn't I think Miss Whitehall would be afraid of the dullness of the country, after living in the town? I said you never could tell. What I thought was that if there was anything for Miss Whitehall to be afraid of, it wasn't dullness. At six, Iola left, having a date for supper. And a little after that, I had a call from Babbitts, saying he and Freddy Jasper had found the anarchist business more important than they expected, and he wouldn't be home to all hours. Isabella didn't come on Sunday, so I got my own supper, and then sat down in the parlor and tried to read the papers. But I couldn't put my mind on them. In a few days, perhaps as soon as Tuesday, the dispatch would have the Harland murder on the front page. I could see the headlines, the copyreader couldn't spread himself, and I tried to work out how Babbitts would write it, where he'd begin, with the crime itself, or with all the story that came before it. It was near eleven, and me thinking of bed when there was a ring at the bell. That's pretty late for callers, even in a newspaper man's flat. And I jumped up and ran into the hall. After I'd jammed the push button, I opened the door, spying out for the head coming up the stairs. It came, a derby hat and a pair of broad shoulders, and then Jack Reddy's face raised to mine, grave and frowning. "'Hello, Molly,' he said. "'It's late, but I couldn't find any of the others, so I came to you.' 
If he hadn't seen anyone, he didn't know what had transpired. The thought made me bubble up with eagerness to tell him the new developments. That was the reason, I guess, I didn't notice how serious he was. Not a smile of greeting, not a handshake. He didn't even take off his coat, but throwing his hat on one of the hall pegs, said, I've only just got in from Buffalo. I phoned to the Whitney house from Grand Central, but they're both out of town, not to be back till tomorrow morning. And O'Malley's away, too. Do you know how Ford is? You bet I do. He sat up, taking nourishment, and talked. Talked? Have they seen him? They have. I turned away and moved up the hall. Come right in and I'll tell you. I went into the dining room, where the drop light hung bright over the table, and was going on to the parlor when I heard his voice, loud and commanding behind me. What's he said? I whisked round, and there he was, standing by the table, his eyes fixed hard and almost fierce on me. Won't you come into my parlor? said the spider to the fly. I said, laughing, just to tease him. He answered without a ghost of a smile. No. Go on quick. What did Ford say? All right. I dropped down into Babbitt's chair and motioned him to mine. Sit down there. It's a long story and I can't tell it to you if you stand in front of me like a patience on a monument. He took the chair and putting his elbows on the table, raised his hands, clasped together, and leaned his mouth on them. The light fell full on his face, and over those clasped hands his eyes stared at me so fixed and steady they looked the eyes of an image. I don't think while I told him he ever batted a lid, and I know he never said a word. So you see, I said, when I was through, Ford's as much out of it as you are. Without moving his hands, he asked, What do they think? Why, what do you suppose they think? Instead of there being three of them in it, there were two. They think she and Barker did it? Of course. They've worked it out that way. I leaned over the table, my voice low, giving him the details of the new theory. As I told it, there was something terrible in those eyes. All the kindness went out of him, and a fire came in its place, till they looked like crystals with a flame behind them. When I finished, he spoke, and this time his voice sounded different, hoarse and muffled. Have they made any plan? Decided on their next step? They've got it all arranged. And I went on about the interview that was planned for the next morning. With her thinking herself safe the way she does, they're sure they can give her such a jolt she'll lose her nerve and tell. He gave an exclamation. Not words, just a choked, fierce sound, and dropping his hands on the table, burst out like a volcano. The dogs! The devils! Dragging her down there to terrify a lie out of her! He leaped to his feet, sending the chair crashing down on the floor. I fell back where I sat paralyzed, not only by his words, but at the sight of him. I think I've spoken of the fact that he had a violent temper, and he's told me himself that he's conquered it. But now for the first time I saw it, and believe me... It was far from dead. I would hardly have known him. His face was savage, his eyes blaring, and the words came from him as if they were shot out on the breaths that spoke in great heaving gasps from his lungs. Haven't ya, he said. A woman any hot in ya? Are ya? That I've always thought all the kindness and generosity willin' to hound an innocent girl to a ruin? He grabbed the back of a chair near him and leaned over it, glaring at me, shaking, gasping, and the color of ashes. But, but, I faltered. She's done it. She hasn't, he shouted. Y'all fools, imbeciles, mad. It's a lie, an infamous, brutal lie. He dropped the chair and turned away, beginning to pace up and down, his hands clenched, raging to himself. The room was full of the sound of his breathing, as if some great throbbing piece of machinery was inside him. And I, there in my seat, fallen limp against the back, saw it all. What a fool I'd been. What an idiot! He with his empty heart and that beautiful girl, 
the girl that any man might have loved and how much more jack reddy knowing her poor and lonesome and believing her innocent and persecuted i felt as if the skies had fallen on me my hero that i'd never found a woman good enough for in love with a murderess he stopped in his pacing and tried to get a grip on himself tried to speak quietly with his voice gone to a husky murmur tomorrow you say tomorrow they're gonna do this damnable thing tomorrow at ten in mr whitney's office i answered weak and trembling he stood for a moment looking on the ground his brows drawn low over his eyes the bones of his jaw showing set under the flesh a deadly fear seized me a fear that followed on a flash of understanding i got up i guess as white as he was and went over to him jack i said you can't do anything everything's against her there's not a point that doesn't show she's guilty he gave me a look from under his eyebrows like a thrust of a sword don't say that to me again molly he almost whispered or i'll forget the debt i owe you and the affection i felt for you since the day we swore to be friends what can you do i cried fairly distracted they've got the evidence it's there i tried to put my hand on his arm but he shook it off and walked toward the door i followed him and during those few short steps from the dining-room to the hall it came to me as clear as if he'd said it that he was going to carol whitehall to help her run away what are you gonna do i said standing in the doorway as he pulled his hat off the peg and turned toward the hall door that's my affair he threw back over his shoulder he had his hand on the knob when a thought an inspiration flashed on me i don't know where it came from but when you're fond of a person and see them headed for a precipice i believe you get some sort of wireless communication from heaven or some place of that order miss whitehall's not in town now i said he stopped short and looked back at me where's she they've gone back to new jersey some people loaned them a cottage in the azalea woods estates i knew that but they're not there yet yes they went yesterday sooner than expected he stood for a moment looking at the floor then glancing back at me said thank you for telling me that good night the door opened banged shut and i was alone i wonder if anyone reading the story can imagine what i felt it was awful so awful that now here writing it down peaceful and happy i can feel the sinking at my heart in the sick sensation like i could never eat food again and laugh it was an art i'd lost and never in this world would get back it was not only that he loved her that woman that vampire who could sin at the word of an old man but it was the thought the certainty that he was ready to betray his trust go back on his partners be a traitor to his office all the work they'd done all the hopes they'd built up all their efforts for success he was going to destroy it was disgrace for him he'd never get over it he'd be an outcast as long as he lived he'd be pointed at as the man who gave his honor for the love of a wicked woman that was the first of my thoughts and the second was that i wasn't going to let him do it there was just one way of preventing it and honest to god think as badly of me as you like i can't help it when i got what that way was i was so relieved i didn't care whether i was a traitor or not all that mattered then was if there'd got to be one and as far as i could see there had to it was better for it to be molly babbitts who didn't amount to much in the world than jack reddy who was a big man and was going to be a bigger as i put on my coat and hat i heard the clock strike half past eleven there were no trains out to the azalea woods estates before seven the next morning even if he took his own auto which i guessed he'd do it would take him the best part of an hour and a half to get there and long before that she'd have had her warning from me yes that's what i was going to do go to her and tell her before he could 
Dishonest? Well, I guess yes. I know what's straight from what's crooked as well as most. But it seemed to me the future of a man, that man, was worth more than my pledged word, or the glory of Whitney and Whitney, or Babbitt's scoop. That was the cruelest of all. My own dear, beloved Soapy. To go back on him, too. Gosh. Going over in the taxi through the dark, still streets. How I felt. But it didn't matter. If I died when I was through, I'd got to do it. Maybe you never experienced those sensations. Maybe you can't understand. But take it from me. There are people who'd break all the commandments and all the laws to save their friends. And, bad or good, I'm one of them. End of chapter 15